Well, if you would, uh, for our scripture reading today, the text upon which the sermon will be based comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. You can find that on page 858 or 981 in your pew Bible there. And just as you're turning there, I want to remind you where we have been. We have been looking at this book of 1 Peter all summer long. And we've been saying that the book of 1 Peter really is a timely letter for our day and age. The circumstances into which Peter wrote are very, very similar to our day and age. Though we live across millennia, I think we've argued that there is much similarity between his day and ours. Moreover, his is a letter to those uh, who are suffering, those who live at the margins of culture and society, to set their hope fully on the grace that will be to them in the Lord Jesus. This is great news for our hearts and your souls, so I invite you to listen uh, as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. This is God's word to us. It is given to us in love. We would do well to listen to it. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Well, what do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Well, let's pray together, asking the Lord to help us this morning. Our Father, would you now send the Spirit that we might see the beauty of the Son? Would you open our eyes and our hearts and speak to us this morning, using your word to encourage us, using your word to confront us, to restore us? Lord, we come in here from all over the map, some of us having horrible weeks, some of us so ashamed of our weeks, so despairing of our weeks, we're wondering if you still care for us, if you still love us, if there's still a place for us in the kingdom. And so we come this morning longing to hear from you what you truly think about us. Lord, others of us come in here doubtful, wondering about what we hear week, week in and week out. And so we need for you to meet our doubts and for you to comfort us. Lord, as others of us come in here longing, having walked with you for some time, longing for you to just simply encourage us this morning, to remind us of your great mercy and your great love. And so we ask that you would do that for us too. Lord, wherever we're at, we all come as beggars, needing bread, needing food for our week, for our day, and so we ask that you would supply that now. We lift this all up in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, please be seated. And I want to just uh, say this. I, I know I've been able to be here several weeks with you all. Uh, again, if you, if you don't know me, if you've been on vacation and unable to worship here on Sunday mornings, my name is Ryan Anderson. I do serve as the RUF campus minister over in Fort Worth at TCU, and it's been a real privilege to be with you uh, this summer. And I just want to say uh, this morning, as we consider uh, a very, what I like to call a, uh, a pull-the-pen-and-grenade text, you know what I mean by that? Uh, I feel like as we, as we listen to that this morning, that um, my heart is, is that you would see really the amazing love for us in Jesus in this text. 
Before we get there, I want to throw this out there too. I'm, I am in 100% agreement with what Pastor Mark has said, that all of us have authority issues, right? Nobody likes to be told what to do, so if you're a fan of Lost, you might remember John Locke's character, what? He says this all the time, don't tell me what to do, right? And so all of us have that in us, and I think 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 is going to show us that. But I wonder if you'd also, just by way of introducing the sermon this morning, how many of you heard the news out of Corpus Christi this week? Uh, can you imagine uh, being locked in a room that you can't get out of? I don't know how many of you heard it, but uh, imagine after withdrawing some cash at your local ATM, you go to get the receipt of the transaction, and after checking, like we all do, about how much money we still have in our account after doing so, I know you do that, I do that too. You go to get the receipt, and looking down at it, you see a handwritten note on the receipt that says this, Please help. I'm stuck in here and I don't have my phone. Please call my boss. Now you might think that it was a prank as like, like others did, but believe it or not, a contractor who was tasked with fixing the, the, the ATM left his keys and his phone in the car and locked himself in inside the ATM. Oh, isn't that crazy? Now I don't know about you. I've locked myself out of a lot of things. My car, my house, and so on, my office. But I have never locked myself into anything. <laughs> and yet if we were to uh, look at what the Apostle Peter says, uh, Peter has a different assessment about me. And you may say, I've never locked myself in anything. And Peter would have a different assessment to say about you as well. What do I mean? Well, Peter is going to tell us this morning about what it looks like to live out the Christian life faithfully. We looked last week at this general, this general exhortation to live lives that are beautiful, to live lives that are honorable before the watching world around us. And I mentioned last week that that was a general statement. And that this week, and really for the next several chapters, we're going to see specifically how Peter applies or how Peter specifically breaks down that exhortation to live out beautiful lives, to live as people who are exiles and sojourners. And so today, interestingly, by presenting a paradox, he gives us two realities, two realities that appear to contradict each other. And what we'll see is that through this paradox, as I'm calling it, or this tension, you will see Peter telling us, exactly how to live beautiful lives, exactly how to live faithfully. And so I just want to start this morning by asking the question, what does Peter say about us in his assessment, right, there it is, in his assessment of us? Look with me at verse 16. I need to start here because this provides the real power for everything that will follow. You see it there in verse 16, don't you? You may have missed it as we read it, but look, at, look what he says. He says, live as people who are free. Live as people who are free, Peter tells us. Why would he say this? Because Peter knows exactly what the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus does for us. It actually liberates us. We just read from John chapter 8, right? Jesus himself says this, if the Son has set you free, guess what? You really are free. For everyone who has trusted Christ, 
you are truly free because of what His work has done for us. Now, it's important to ask, what type of freedom is this? Or what is it like? And I do believe that biblical freedom throughout the Old Testament and through the New Testament is a double-sided coin. On the first side, you'll always see that it's a freedom from something. A freedom from something. You might remember the letters in the writing of the New Testament. I'm just going to summarize this. that First of all, it is a freedom from the curse. The curse of the law. Right? We no longer sit underneath the law's penalty. Why? Because Christ and His perfect atoning work has taken all that the law has promised as a curse. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. And therefore, we have been freed for it because Jesus didn't just come as our example. He came as our substitute. Hallelujah. And because of that, we are freed from the law's curse. But we're freed from the law's curse because we are freed from sin's guilt as well. Right? We are freed from sin's guilt as well. Think about what Peter says this. He says earlier in verse 11, he says, you have been freed from the desires of the flesh. The the point that Peter is making is this, is that I really want you to live as you actually are. The point that Peter is making is that the same as what Paul makes in Romans chapter 6, that while sin's presence remains in the life of the believer, its power, I love that distinction, its presence is still present, right? But its power has been snapped. Christ has laid His boot heel, as it were, on the neck of sin's authority in our lives, and it has snapped us. It has been snapped. It has been overthrown, as it were. And because it objectively has, Peter is saying, I want you to live as you actually are. To live freely. But on the other side of that coin, it's not just a freedom from, it's actually a freedom to, as we'll see. The specifics of it we'll see in just a moment, but for now, I just want you to observe that Peter... And the Bible on the whole's concept of freedom always includes not just a freedom from, but as well a freedom to something. Remember what Paul, again, another apostle, says in Romans chapter 6. He says this in, um, in his letter to the Romans. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. There it is. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. There is freedom from sin. Its power has been broken in our lives. It is not our master anymore. We owe it nothing. But now, we have become slaves of God. You see, what the Bible is saying is that absolute freedom, absolute autonomy, is not a biblical category. Rather, we're always slaves of something. Or, as the modern-day prophet Bob Dylan once wrote, what? you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. Well, you can imagine how this might feel like sandpaper to the modern culture that we live in, right? It just rubs us wrong. Why? Why is that? Because of the modern culture's understanding of what freedom is. It is, it is one of the dominant culture, uh, cultural values in our lives. So much so that author, author Robert Bella in his book, Habits of the Heart, once wrote this about Americans in particular. That for Americans, freedom was and is perhaps the most important value. 
Why is that so important? Well, we as Westerners, and especially of Americans, we love our freedom, right? I mean, don't you remember your, your American history? Right? What were Patrick Henry's favorite words, famous words, right? Give me liberty or give me death, right? And if you're from New Hampshire, you know your state motto. What is it? Live free or what? Die. That's right. And for those of you from the Commonwealth of Virginia, on your state seal, there is personified virtue standing with its boot on tyranny. And, in, and the motto reads in Latin what? Sic temp semper tyrannis. Thus always to tyrants. We as Americans have born in us, I would just say, an inherent authority issue. I mean, think about what our country was founded on. It's always from what? Tyranny. From free now look, I'm proud to be an American, okay? Just as much as Lee Greenwood is, I suppose. But the point is, is that I want us to see how this rubs against our cultural values. Why does it rub? Because of this. Because the way, the way that our broader culture tends to think of freedom is exclusively thought of in that freedom from terminology. That freedom from, it's the casting off of all restraints. No hindrances. Absolute freedom to choose, right? Nobody tells me what to do. And moreover, this idea of freedom lies at the very heart of what our culture says. Here it is. About what it actually means to be human. About what it means to be a human being. But I just want to ask this question. Is that really so? Is that really so? Is that really the way that the scriptures tell us about what it means to be human, about what it means to be a person. The oft-used illustration that you've probably heard before, you can begin to see the silliness of this definition of freedom. And it's certainly one that Peter is not advocating. Think of this. Think of a fish that longs to be free of the water that he swims in. He thinks, man, this water is so incredibly oppressive. It's so limiting. I mean, I can see above the crest of the waterline, look at all of that land out there. If I could just be on land and be done with all of this wet, I get to see trees and swim around on the grass, then I'll finally be free. But what happens? Remove the fish from the water. It can't survive, right? It, it might be free, but it's dead. <laughs> or think about the person who wants to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. He reasons, oh, those are too restrictive, those things. I'd rather do so without and then be free. But what happens if he doesn't have a massive net to catch him, which I saw that video, it's crazy. Go look it up if you want. He was free, but now he's dead. Well, in his recent book, Union with Christ, author Rankin Wilburn notices this motif in a popular movie. Kids, you might want to let your ears perk up a little bit. If you've ever seen the movie Frozen... Now remember, I have three little girls at my house, so I may have watched it one or two times or ten. And um, you remember what's going on there as Elsa is singing about letting it go and all, right? She's saying what? She says, I am free. But do you know what she's doing? She's actually making an ice castle as she's saying the words, imprisoning herself as she's singing the words, I'm free. Have you ever noticed that? And so Wilburn concludes with the words of W.H. Auden, each in the cell of himself is almost convinced of his freedom. The quest for real freedom and true freedom and therefore true and lasting happiness really isn't about throwing off all limits and restraints. Why? Why? 
Because even if one has done that, you're still governed by, you're still governed by another principle of independence. You're still governed by, you, you line your life, we, we line up our lives to be free, right? And the idea is that we become a slave to that. And so we are in the old adage, but cleaned up, we're darned if we do, darned if we don't. And what Peter is trying to show us is rather, as one author puts it, that true freedom isn't about finding, it's about rather, true freedom is about finding which restraints will bring you the most flourishing in life and then living within those. It's the water for the fish. And the way you know which restraints will bring you joy and flourishing in life are precisely the ones that fit your design. Therefore, it's appropriate to ask the question, what am I made for? Who am I made for? What is my purpose? And then, what good limits, what good restraints guide me or bring about that end? Brothers and sisters, I want to bring you a profound encouragement. If you are in Christ today, you really, really, really have been set free from sin. That is, we could just stop there and go home. That's so amazing. Sin is not your master anymore. I don't care how much you struggle with it. It doesn't own you. I don't care how much you're tempted to it. It is not your master. And that's incredibly powerful news because it lets you say, I owe you nothing. I am giving you nothing of me. And I will keep on walking in line with my true Lord. There's real power there to know that you have been set free. But additionally... If God made you, then living within His good limits that He has placed on you is the way to find true happiness and the free life. Kids, I want you to ask your parents about what I'm about to say when you get home so that they can pay attention <laughs> right now and so that you will too. I want you to ask your parents about the three H's. The three H's. And here they are. That holiness, that humanness, and that happiness all go together in the gospel. They all go together in the gospel. That to be truly human, that to be truly happy, and to be truly holy are all one and the same thing in the gospel. That really is true of us. We never experience our personhood about what it means to be a person more fully and fully, more fully and joyfully than when we were made as we're meant to live. Now this might sound depressive to some, and I can understand that, but I promise you, it's not. We so easily lose sight of our way on the way that things are. Up has become down, down has become up, and we need Jesus to set our vision right again so that we might see God in ourselves and life as it really is. This is the freedom that Peter assumes about him, about us. For him, true freedom is always a freedom from ourselves, from our pride, from our own way of life, and so on. Here it is. It is a freedom from the very selfishness and self-orienting principles, orienting principles that cage us, that we've locked ourselves into. The Christian really has been set free from this way of life. And here's the deal. Why? Why have we been set free? Because we have a good new master. Because God himself and his restraints will bring about our true freedom. In sum, this leads to the first part of that tension, of that paradox that I was talking about. 
Put simply, it's this. Peter calls us to live freely. To live out a life consistent with the new birth that we've experienced. Your free people, in other words, McKinney Church, live like it. And this is the way that we live honorable lives in the presence of those around us. If God has made you and has made you for Himself, then true freedom comes from living, from living within those good and noble restraints and limits that He has placed on us. I think this leads us then to a second question. What does it look like then to live that out, to flesh that out, the free life? Well, this is a great question, and it's one that Peter himself answers in the rest of our passage. Notice how he fleshes out how we are to live. Let's go back to verse 16 there. Do you see what he says there? He says that freedom that you have, here's how I want you to use it. Not, in a way, or not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants for God. Peter is saying, you've not been set free to do evil to those around you. That would run contrary to what your freedom is all about. Instead, we see a whole theme emerge in the rest of our passage. Jump back up to verse 13 there. Peter says this, Be subject. As free people, be subject for the Lord's sake, right? To every human institution. Whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. And then again at the end, at the end of that passage, there's a nice little, again, firecracker that Peter just throws out there when he says this, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. In other words, because you're free, you have been set free to serve. To serve. Now remember, in the broader context of chapter 2, Peter is saying this is how you are to live among non-believers. You are to submit yourself to all human institutions. I didn't make that up. That's what it says in the text. You really have been set free to a supreme, to a higher authority, God Himself, and now use that freedom to submit yourself to all human institutions. Let's take a deep breath. The implications of this are numerous. Numerous. Let's just start with the text itself. Did you catch it there? It refers certainly to those who are inside the church. The idea of loving the brotherhood. And one way to think about this practically might be, are you a man or are you a woman that has given over to throwing your fellow Christians under the proverbial bus? And maybe not just here in this church, but in other denominations. How do you speak of them if they believe X or Y? Peter is saying, use your freedom to honor the brotherhood. But he doesn't just say those who are inside the church. Look, he also says those outside the church as well. When he says honor everyone, well, that catches it. That's the catch-all right there. Honor everyone. Right? So what this means is, as well as, as honoring the institutions that we're, that we're sitting under, that means paying your taxes fairly. That means how you respect that boss that you just can't stand. That also means how you live within your family. 
You have been placed in an institution called the family. And how will you honor that? True confession, right? Here it is. I need Jesus' grace just as many, much as anybody, okay? My wife, Laura, came down with a stomach bug a couple of days ago, which impeded my writing of this sermon because I needed to care for her and the kids. And I'm boneheaded enough yesterday to say, as she's sick, right, laying in bed for me to say this, sweetie, can't you just get up and do something? I've got to go write a sermon on, on, on honoring authorities and institutions. Now, look, I, sweetheart, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. I was boneheaded. Will you please forgive me? I, I cleaned it up, okay? But here's the point, right? The picture is, is that this applies everywhere. Copyright laws on the internet, right? Obeying traffic signs. The Lord had my conscience this morning as I was driving over from Fort Worth. He had me honoring every institution. But I think this is even more, this drives it home, it gets even more in our mail, so to speak, when we consider these words. Honor the emperor as supreme. This really does this really does mean the institutions of our government. That doesn't mean that government can't be corrupt. It can be. It doesn't mean that the government gets everything right. It doesn't. But the government is over us as God's institution set over us to bring about our common good. And Peter looks at us and he says, you must honor it. You must. And if that weren't enough, the Apostle Paul says we ought to pray for our leaders. And I just think about this in a world where social media has become part of the, the bread and the, the water that we drink, the warp and woof of our life. I can just notice even from good men, from good Christians, good, as it were, men who know the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives, the way that they absolutely trash our politicians the way that they trash our state. Brothers and sisters, it should not be, says Peter. We're called to honor. Is there a time for civil disobedience? Yes. And that's another sermon at another time that somebody else can preach. <laughs> but right now, honor. We honor and we do that. Now you just have to think about it. We could go on forever. But here's the point. Christians should be, become, should be some of the best citizens if whatever institution, their work, the state, the family, the gym they work out at, the neighborhood that they're a part of, whatever it is, Peter is saying to live, to use your freedom in a way that honors this. And you may say, well, I don't like this. I don't like this one bit. And I kind of just gently say to you, that's okay. That really is okay because Peter, did you catch it? He says this. He says that here's the reason in verse 13 you should live like this. It's not for your sake. It's for the Lord's sake. It's for the Lord's sake that you live this way. We're not the point, in other words. Now, you can just listen to this and just go, Peter must have been crazy. He just didn't know what he was writing about. But I would like to suggest something different. Do you happen to know who the emperor was in Peter's time? It was a man named Nero. And let me just tell you a little bit about Nero uh, as Peter is writing into this. As he's saying, honor the emperor, this is exactly who he's got in mind. Nero was um, 
not a kind emperor. In fact, to say that he was a cruel emperor is an understatement. Listen, he was ruthless. He had his mother killed. And at one point or another, he actually kicked his own wife, one of his wives, to death. Some say that he started the great fire in Rome just to get land cleared so that he could build himself a vast new palace. And his cruelty wasn't just reserved for those of his own kind. It was taken out on Christians as well. We don't have much about uh, Nero's rule, but the historian Tacitus, who wrote about Nero's rule, tells us that Nero would commonly sew animal skins around Christians and then throw them to the wild dogs until they were torn apart. And then, in something that's almost R-rated for the sermon, he would actually cover Christians in pitch and hold them up on posts and light them to provide light for his dinner parties. This is who Nero is. This is who Peter is saying, I want you to honor him. Is that not staggering? And yet, this is what Peter is writing into. He's saying this, that when you have been set free by the gospel, you really are free to serve even the worst of institutions, not only to make them better by serving them, but for another reason as well. You saw it again in his text. Peter knows the way that those who speak maliciously and ignorantly against Christian will be persuaded to other considerations and possibly should the Lord grant that grace to become believers themselves. How? By the way, the Christians live out their lives. In other words, in Peter's mind, there is a way of living in the world that is both faithful to God, honoring God, verse 17, and seen as good by a non-Christian way of life because of its shared values. And that by living faithfully in these ways, honoring everyone, verse 17, we might inform our neighbors who disagree with us about the good, kind, loving mercy of the God of all grace. And this means rarely that people will come to a firm understanding and belief in Christ by preaching and teaching. I'm sorry, Mark. We got our odds stacked against us, man. It really is by your lives, right? Peter knows that our lives are like a movie projector that put on display the beauty of Jesus in such a way that the world sees. So here it is. You want to live a radical life? You want to live on fire for Jesus? You don't have to go to China or some third, other, some third world country to proclaim His name. Though, I do pray that some of you would do that. If you want to live a radical life, it begins by what? Submitting yourself to all authorities. And when the watching world sees that, they go, why? Why are you doing this? And remember, if personal freedom and expression is the pinnacle of our modern notion of personhood, people will have to ask this question then you can say, well, I've been set free to. I mean, they'll be stunned that you would make such a choice like this against such a popular, culturally held belief. Here is what Peter is building to. The gospel changes how we think about both authority and freedom. 
It causes us to see all authority has been established by God. And therefore, I might add, ought to be used rightly. And that freedom is a gift given to us. And we are to use that freedom to submit to the authority structures that God and His good grace and kindness has placed us under. Moreover, how you live a life under authority to other people and institutions provides a powerful, lived-out dynamic, lived-out witness and apologetic to God's grace to sinners. We will see later on in this letter that our arguments and our words do have a place in bearing witness about who Christ is, but they will be hollow and not heard if we are a people who constantly live for ourselves, rejecting the good authorities that God has established over us. Therefore, summarizing the other side of that tension, the other side of that paradox, Peter is telling us that since we've really been set free, to use our freedom by living as servants. I just want to begin to close by asking this question. How do we know that people can really live like this? I'd like to provide two just quick little points. First of all, I want you to consider the man writing this letter. You remember him? Jesus says, the time is coming for me, for the Son of Man to be turned over. Peter, no way. That's not happening. He was a man that was not given over to subjecting himself. He was a man given over to his own way. And Jesus stares him down and says what? Get behind me, Satan. I don't know about you. People have called me a lot of things in my life. Nobody's ever called me Satan. But if Jesus called you Satan, do you think that might leave an indelible mark on your life? And might orient you, orient you to a new way of life? Well, you know what, for Peter, it sure didn't. <laughs> it didn't. Because do you remember when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet? What does Peter say? You're not washing mine, O oh Lord. You don't have to do that. That's beneath you. Peter, unless I do this, you have no part in me. Well, all right, then wash my whole body then, Lord. Well, the time is coming, Peter, Peter that I'm going to be delivered over, that I'm going to die. You know what, Lord? No matter what, even if the rest of these guys fall away, I'm going to follow you right unto death. I'm telling you that's what I'm going to do. Peter, <laughs> you're chicken. Literally, a rooster is going to crow and you won't even stick beside me. And later on, a young schoolgirl will call Peter out and he'll fall away around the campfire. And yet it's that Peter, it's that Peter that comes to write this letter about using his freedom in a way to serve. And it would be that Peter who would eventually have his life taken underneath the emperor that he says to honor. And secondly, I just want you to see this. I want you to see that this is exactly what Jesus does for you. That's what Jesus does for you and for me. Do you remember what Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians? That Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking what? The form of a servant being born in the likeness of man, like you and me, and being 
found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on the cross. Dear ones, who in the world is more free than God was, is, and always shall be? And yet he takes on flesh for us. Jesus' own words in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And where do we see him using that freedom to serve? Well, it actually comes at the hands of a governor. You remember him, right? It's the governor of Judea, a man named Pontius Pilate. Jesus and Pilate are talking in Pilate's chamber. Jesus has just been arrested, and now he sits before Pilate, and Pilate begins to peg him with questions, ones that Jesus is not answering to Pilate's satisfaction. And Peter looks, and Pilate looks at Jesus, the man in authority, and he says to Jesus, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus looks at him and says, You would have no authority over me unless at all, unless it had been given to you from above. Translation, as one of my pastor friends says, do what you will. Jesus made and had sustained Pilate's every breath and had actually given him his post as governor. And now he was submitting to it. Why? Why? Let me finish the end of Mark 10.45 to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Peter is telling us that he used his freedom to become subject not only to Pilate, but to death itself. So that by his death, by him literally subjecting himself to death, and through his resurrection, and causing us to be born again into a living hope, Jesus, though free, was bound so that we might live as free servants. And to the extent that you see Jesus using the full extent of his freedom to serve, so too can we be liberated from our sin and selfishness and pride to be able to do the same. The great English poet John Donne wrote a series of 19 holy sonnets where he expressed himself and his longings and thoughts to God. In a very famous one, number 14 of those sonnets, Dunn writes about his desire to be so possessed, as it were, by God's love for him, such that no other thing would capture his heart, and yet he finds him there so captured by his own self, his own sin, this own principle in him to do as he wishes and he pleases. Listen to the end of the sonnet as he writes it. This is how it closes. But I, Dunn is saying, am betrothed unto your enemy, Divorce me, untie or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, shall never be free, nor ever chaste until or except you ravish me. True freedom comes by being imprisoned to God Himself, as it were. This imprisonment is not one that brings about Dunn's ruin or ours either. Instead, God is pictured as a lover. As a lover. One set on the good and flourishing of His beloved. He wants us to see, Peter does, that Jesus Christ has come into the world as a loving servant, lover, servant, king. He has given Himself to us that we may be His forever. And that by being His, 
We are truly free, truly ourselves. And once again, once we see this, we've got power, dear ones, to give our lives away in true service to others and to the world. So, here it is. Have you been so affected, so pierced by the hope that Peter talks about, the certainty of heaven and the life that is to come, that you both know God's love for you and its liberating power to set you free? Can I just say today it's on offer to you? It's on offer right now. Take it, trust it, live it, believe it, take it in whether for the thousandth time or for the first. This is the good news for our souls, brothers and sisters. It's the best news you're going to hear today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you now again by your Spirit take these things and impress them deep in our hearts? Would you help us to get over ourselves? Might you cast us a vision for a beautiful life that seeks to serve, that seeks to live out the real freedom that you have given us, the freedom that comes in your service to make this world, to make this church, to make this small pocket of Texas wonderful. Lord, only you can set us free from ourselves. And yet, we know that you can And so we ask that you would do that, we pray. In your name, amen.